Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today, we sit down with the Executive Director of the National Association of Black Cannabis Lawyers and Founder and CEO of Evergreen Solutions Group, providing consulting services to cannabis businesses seeking licensure and business development throughout the U.S. Today's guest is also a contributing author to the widely known anthology, Courage in Cannabis. And so without further ado, Natasha Andrews, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. Of course, I appreciate you joining us today. Um, Natasha, I think a great place to start would be, you know, your your first steps in the cannabis industry and the cannabis community. What what sort of attracted you to enter the space and how did you get started? And, you know, how did you ultimately end up going from point A to where you are today? <laughs> that's an interesting story. That's actually something you'll have to read about to find I'm out. Excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I was going to say, what... <laughs> I'm still excited to read, read the chapter. Don't worry. <laughs> it's at the heart of what I write about. However, my journey is probably pretty untraditional. <laughs> um, I actually came from the immigration law side of things. Um, I practice as an immigration attorney where cannabis isn't a big part of that sort of practice, but it is something that I saw and I probably had most of my adult engagement with the, the whole concept of cannabis was as an immigration attorney. Um, and by that, I mean, sometimes uh, cannabis was involved with a detention that ultimately led to a deportation, right? Um, and I will say that initially that wasn't something that sent up too many red flags for me. However, as I got to the end of my cannabis, I'm sorry, my immigration career, and I could tell that I was being, I was beginning to be pretty burnt out by the practices of immigration. I started thinking about what was next. Um, and I started thinking about what I could take from my immigration practice and, and apply to my future uh, legal endeavors. And I think that something that resonated with me was repeatedly seeing the, the connection between detention, deportation, and ultimately a ban from reentry in the US. Sometimes these were associated with nonviolent, low level cannabis convictions. Something that just stuck in the back of my head until uh, a fateful trip to Seattle. <laughs> I took a trip to Seattle on a completely different legal business matter, and it was the first time I was in a market where it was just open and free and everywhere. Um, describing it or thinking back on it, I just remember thinking there are more dispensaries here than there are Starbucks, and this is the home of Starbucks, <laughs> and I don't understand what I'm looking Very at. Funny. <laughs> um, and it was in, it was in such stark contrast to what I saw in, in my legal mm -hmm. landscape, right? There wasn't this freedom. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of sadness and family separation in my world. And here there was all of this wealth and access to medical and, you know, a, a lack of um, habition, you know, there was an inhibition with it. Um, and that, that I came home from that trip and that probably opened the Pandora's box that ultimately led to my being here. <laughs> That's amazing. And so what was that, what was that experience like for you actually when you first when you when you kind of first were exploring Seattle and you noticed the the polar differences of how cannabis could affect and, and impact people's lives and culture? Like what like that must have been such a shock. It was, and I'll tell you, it was it was multifaceted, right? So initially, of course, there was this euphoric sort of giddiness, mm -hmm. right? Like, this is crazy for me anyway, because this wasn't a part of my world. 
I had a very conservative upbringing and a very narrow understanding and interpretation of the rights and wrongs of it all. And I was absolutely raised with a, this is bad, drugs are bad. This is part of drugs. Just right. say no. I was a Nancy Reagan, 1980s <laughs> era kid. And so initially it was that kid in the candy store, like, you've got to be kidding me. This is everywhere and it's legal. And it, it let me tap into probably the taboo side of things. But it wasn't very long before it went from that sort of um, giggles, yeah. <laughs> giggles about it, if you will, to something much more uh, sobering, a little bit darker in that there was a, an incredible disparity. And that wasn't a laughing matter for me. It really tapped into and tugged on my sense of justice and made me think there's something not okay about this. There's, there's something not okay, not only about the demographic makeup, that was vastly different between what I saw in the streets of Seattle and what I saw back in Arizona at the time. But there was also, um, as I uncovered more about the medical benefits, I realized that in addition to the, the stark justice disparity, there was also an issue of health care. You know, what kind of health care did you have access to in states that had legalized cannabis versus states that did not? Those were two compelling reasons that I started doing the research on my own and ultimately decided that my morals put me on the side of justice and not on the side of, you know, believing the hype that I had learned. I had to unlearn a lot of things, let's just say. Yeah, no, all, all of that, it just, it resonates with, with so many different, so many different people and, and stories that I've heard over the years. And it's so sad that that's really how, how things kind of, you know, took, took place in the beginning. But one thing I want to, I really want to kind of dive deeper into is that right now, currently, you're the executive director of the National Association of Black Cannabis Lawyers, and you're also the founder and CEO of Evergreen Solutions Group. So can you shed some light as to sort of your mission there and kind of the why that, or that, that spark that really drives everything that you're doing with those two organizations today and how that kind of ties back and connects to your early days um, of these experiences when you were first kind of getting exposed to the cannabis industry and the whole community and, and culture behind it? Absolutely. Um, I, I will start by saying that it has been an extremely wild and intense mm. ride, but it's been a pretty short mm. ride. <laughs> it hasn't been that long that I've been um, in this space. However, I will say that I started with Evergreen Solutions. Um, as I mentioned before, I knew I was going to be exiting from immigration work. It was part of the climate. This was back in late 2019 or so. And the climate was just one that we don't have to rehash here, but there were some pretty ugly things going on with regards to immigration. And I knew that it was time for me to take a mental break from that. Um, and I had lived in significant number of cities around the country that I had friends in various places and their markets were opening up. Because of my legal background, I was often asked, can you review this for me? I would like to go for an application. They're letting in people for licenses here. Can Because when you're a lawyer, just like when you're a doctor, people don't care what type of law you practice. They just ask you all kinds of crazy questions. <laughs> um, and I... <laughs> I initially, you know, was hesitant, but when I looked at it, it was very much transactional law. It was a lot of read this and tell me if what I've given you satisfies what it, it's saying in this legal jargon. And I'm like, okay, that 
doesn't seem like too far of a challenge, um, falls right in line with the type of work that I've done in the past. And um, I enjoyed that process, right? I enjoyed helping people. Again, as I became familiar with what types of resources various people had access to, I realized that I was providing a service oftentimes to people who didn't have another mm -hmm. avenue. They didn't have, you know, as it is, that whole licensure pro process can be so very cost prohibitive that I could offer some relief in at least helping people navigate through what those waters look like, at least theoretically on paper, what was being presented. Um, and so I started building this consulting firm out of those experiences and was able to help people in various states, which was interesting, right? You, you're, I was not used to at this time dealing with such fractionalized laws, right. right? What you have going on in Connecticut is not what's happening in New Orleans. I'm sorry, in Louisiana, mm -hmm. it's not what's happening in New Mexico. It's just, it's crazy. Um, and so it took a lot of learning different um, subsets of the law. But to be honest, that's not too different from immigration in the sense that you have to familiarize yourself with many different countries mm -hmm. and how they handle certain things. So that's that's sort of where I started. But all along, there was brewing this sort of passion project. Um, as I was learning so much and unlearning so much, I really just wanted to share that knowledge with my colleagues and my friends. And I found out something very quickly that a lot of my colleagues and friends thought I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean you're doing cannabis? Like cannabis, like weed? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like I didn't say I was a drug dealer. I said that I was helping people in this this area, and there was a lot of reluctance and hesitancy. I can't say that I didn't understand it because I myself took a very long time to come out of the cannabis closet, mm -hmm. so to speak, to tell my family and friends <laughs> that this was what I had chosen to do with my uh, legal background, my my, my education. <laughs> um, so I understood it, but it frustrated me because I realized that right now is when it's most important for voices to be heard that have a vested interest in how cannabis legalization is going to play out. It's not after the laws are made that we need to focus our energies on fixing things that have left out populations. It's while the process is going on. This is the most critical time for voices to be heard that are stakeholders in this big picture. Um, and so I sought out other Black attorneys in this space, knowing full well that it's, it's unfortunate um, and probably somewhat controversial, but when we are not at the table when decisions are being made, we are oftentimes left out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. That is true for everyone, but American history has shown itself to repeatedly leave out the needs of certain communities when decisions are being made. And so it became very important to me to seek out other people who might have a vested interest in, in seeing that play out differently. Um, to my shock, I couldn't find any, or I should say I found very few. And the few I found were disjointed. There was no organization, no umbrella organization under which Black attorneys congregated to talk about what they were seeing in their states, what they were seeing in their municipalities, in their cities. That was concerning to me. There were commissions being um, formulated all over the country or formed all over the country, and they were devoid of diversity. 
And that to me is a very, very scary proposition. It says to me that the very same thing that was used to demonize certain populations was going to be sold back to those populations without any consideration for the damage that had been done. Um, and I'm of the mindset that if you can't find it, then might be your turn to create it. <laughs> and so what started out as simply a passion project became sort of a driver to seek out and find other Black attorneys, not to the exclusion of anyone else, but specifically to make sure that certain issues were addressed, not just on a state level, but with an eye towards federal level as well. Yeah, that's so important. And I think what what is nice to see is that there definitely has been progress made um, in the sense of a greater focus on inclusion of all cultures and all all subcultures across the board. Um, we're definitely not anywhere near perfect yet, but it is really nice to see that more effort and more focus has been placed on creating more of an equal level playing field and giving back to the communities that have been wronged by a lot of these laws. Um, and so it's just, it's refreshing to actually be able to hear it from folks like yourselves who have been involved in a full spectrum of, um, of legal support, if I could, if I could call it that, you know, stemming from immigration and then jumping into cannabis and seeing these, these voids in the, in the markets and the cultures and the industries and the communities and filling those, filling those gaps, uh, when resources may not necessarily be available. And to your point, if you don't see a seat at the table, it's, you know, time to roll up your sleeves and, and build the table, so to say. So, and I think. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think Dr. Bridget Williams did an amazing thing that almost started out as a passion project as well. And now it's turned into this amazing anthology, Courage and Cannabis. Um, Natasha, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what drew you to Courage and Cannabis? Maybe how you and Dr. Bridget connected and, you know, how this, how this collaboration sort of came together and what people can expect from it? Um, sure. Uh, I, I love what Dr. Bridget is doing. I absolutely love the idea of pulling together people's stories, because one thing that I've learned in all of this is everyone has a why. And I mean mm -hmm. everyone, even if the, the why that you're answering is more of a why not, everyone has a story. And that story can change over time. It can morph based on your experiences, but we all have one that touches and concerns this plant. And I think that's kind of an amazing thing. Um, and it's something that I've come into the habit of asking people about, you know, what's your why, what's your connection to? So it was interesting to see that something that I did out of habit was actually being captured and documented. I think it allows people to see themselves. So no matter where you are on the spectrum of your belief system and your understanding, a, a book like Courage and Cannabis allows you a window into someone who might be just like you. And sometimes that's exactly the push that you need to kind of get out there and explore mm -hmm. what your beliefs are or what your connection is. It's that sense of not feeling alone. You know, maybe you thought you were the only one who suffered from um, a condition that would be benefited by having cannabis. And, and maybe you suffered some shame. Maybe you don't have access to med medicinal cannabis and don't know where to turn. Perhaps reading someone else's story will enlighten you and enliven something in you to seek out, wait a minute, you mean there are people who get relief um, who are suffering exactly mm -hmm. like me what can I do about it? Those are where the best advocates come from. 
I think, because it becomes very real and very tangible to them. Um, and maybe your story is, hey, this has always been in my life. You know, my, my parents did it. I did it. It just has always been in my life. And now that the opportunity is before me, I need to take whatever resources that I have to take this to another level, to take something that has been a detriment in my life and make it into something that is going to propel my success in life. Maybe that's the story that resonates with you. And it encourages you to say, you know what, I can do it. Look at the person from this book. They did it. I can do it. I think whatever your story is, seeing someone else with a similar story is so empowering that this is a phenomenal uh, piece of work to pull together. Yeah, no, beautifully said. And we've been, I mean, humans have been, you know, storytelling creatures for, for so long now. And to your point, I couldn't agree anymore. I think storytelling is one of the best ways to communicate and drive home, uh, whether it be a point, a message, or a valuable lesson learned. And I think by collecting all of these stories and experiences into one resource where people can go to and reflect and find different ways to connect and find similarities with others who have gone through similar things, I just think it empowers people to speak up and it really gives them a voice when maybe they didn't feel like they had a voice before. I absolutely agree with that. I think that's like an exciting part of cannabis. One of the things that sort of gives me that thrill or that spark is it has the potential to be such a game changer mm -hmm. um, on so many different levels. You know, and I, I refer to it as an equalizer because it's forcing us to have conversations that we otherwise wouldn't have. Um, collectively as a nation. And I, I, I kind of like the disruption of it all. You know, I, got, I grew weary of the polite inability to talk about difficult mm -hmm. things because it makes people uncomfortable. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, sometimes to get to a better place, you've got to go through a pretty crappy place. And maybe you have to have an uncomfortable conversation or two. But I much rather have uncomfortable conversations that result in a benefit to a large group of people than to sit silent and pretend that the things that we all know are going on are not going on. I 1000% agree. And even if we look back on the last, just the last couple of years on where we were in terms of medical cannabis and how many states had medical programs or adult use programs or even social equity, it it's almost like night and day. If we, you know, go back, let's say four or five years and fast forward to today, it's, it's almost unrecognizable. And so having those tough conversations, which there have been on tremendous amount of over the last few years. I mean, just look at where that got us, um, even just in cannabis and mm -hmm. in the cannabis community and industry among different organizations and institutions. And so it's just, you're, you're spot on having those uncomfortable conversations will get us to a place where we can eventually be comfortable tapping into the power of the plant and giving safe and quality access to people and patients in need. Um, but those difficult conversations definitely, definitely have to be, have to, we had and need a place for. Um, but Natasha, I always love to wrap up every episode by asking each guest, is there something that you feel that you've learned while being in the cannabis industry and being a part of the cannabis community that you feel like maybe you wouldn't have been able to learn or pick up otherwise by being in a more mainstream industry? <laughs> it's funny we should be talking about being comfortable being uncomfortable mm. I have absolutely learned <laughs> to be comfortable being uncomfortable um I think 
look, I learned to use social media and that's all because of cannabis. I can, <laughs> can barely begin to tell you all the ways it sort of has propelled me very quickly into another space. Um, the whole idea of public speaking and talking to large groups of people is something that has never been a desire of mine. Um, and being able to articulate like what it is that is unjust and as a result, thinking through what I think would leave us in a place where things are more just is a process that I've had to learn very quickly in a, in a different sort of way. And I think probably chief among all of the things that I've learned is to broaden my, um, get out of the narrow stereotype of what the face of cannabis mm -hmm. looks like, because it looks like every face. It looks like your 90-year-old grandmother. It looks like your seven-month-old child. It looks like the woman on her way to the grocery store, the woman on the way to the gym, and the guy on the construction site. It looks like everybody. It isn't just someone else's issue. And I'm thankful and humbled by that realization that that the stereotype I had in my head of who uses cannabis is only a very small sliver of the reality because it's a global issue and it's an everybody issue. Well put, well put. And I, it's so funny that, that you say that because being the whole, the whole concept around being comfortable, being uncomfortable is just, it's spot on for cannabis. And every single day, I'd be curious to see what your experience has been like, but I almost feel like every single day there's something new that I learn and come across where it kind of makes me go, Oh, there's so much more to this than I even <laughs> imagined. And so it makes me uncomfortable because I'm like, oh, wow, I need to dig deeper. I need to learn more. I need to do some more research. And so this just keeps happening over and over again. But I think it's definitely strengthened us as, you know, leaders, business owners and operators. It just, it gives you that, um, it almost forces you to develop that sense of grit to keep going and keep that longevity to, to keep pushing and, and seeing every single endeavor and effort through until it finally, you know, comes about and takes shape in society. Yeah, and I think it allows you a freedom of taking off the pretense of being an expert, right? Yes. Um, I did like coming into this space and realizing that it didn't matter if I was standing next to an attorney who had been an attorney for 40 years or one who had been an attorney for one week. We were exactly in the same mm -hmm. space because we're all learning this as we go because it's changing every single day. And so at some point, this will all staple out. This will be old news. And people who are in the positions of power and people who are in the positions of decision making will actually understand what they're doing. Unfortunately, right now, we sometimes have people making decisions without a clue what they're doing. Um, I know that eventually that will all level out. But for the time being, it's exciting to be someplace where we're not only all learning at the same time, we actually have the ability to create. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so Natasha, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for everything that you do for the industry, for the community. Um, and congratulations on your contribution to, to Courage and Cannabis. I'm super excited for that to come out. And if there's anybody who, who is listening and wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Absolutely. You can always reach out to us through our website, which is www.nabcl.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, on Facebook, all under the National Association of Black Cannabis Lawyers. And on Instagram, we are nabcl underscore LLC. Amazing. Natasha, thank you again so, so much. And I can't wait to see all the amazing stuff that you're going to be a part of and the impact that you're going to create.
Thank you again for joining us today. And thank you, Mike, for having me. You guys enjoy yourselves. Awesome. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.